I'm Matt Schrader, and this is a special bonus interview episode of Blockbuster. With me today is Bill Mechanic, one of the most legendary film producers of all time, the head of motion pictures at uh, 20th Century Fox from 1994 to 2000. Uh, you heard him in the series, and he led Fox to become the number one uh, studio in worldwide box office revenue. Movies like Speed, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Independence Day, Moulin Rouge, Braveheart, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, few small movies there and uh, of course uh went on to produce hacksaw ridge since but we're here to talk about titanic and uh bill mechanic thank you so much for giving us some of your time uh not a problem happy to do it titanic is that uh the most tense moments of your entire career certainly it's got to be one of the tougher movies to have made or overseen and we had all sorts of obviously problems and and um you know and the budget ballooning and and going way over schedule, whatever the schedule was supposed to be. So it was, and the town, you know, Hollywood loves to bury its living. Uh, so it was a, you know, you're you're facing all sorts of things along with still trying to manage, um, you know, a studio and a picture at the same time. There's a lot of those pressures I want to get to, and specifically one moment, and, and being in a position of. Uh, reporters, journalists, writers, bloggers, mm. gossipers, all calling you and saying, hey, we need a comment on this thing, which has got to be one mm. of the worst situations probably to be in as an executive. But uh, I want to ask you first about the model for a blockbuster, because was there a clear model for that film going into all of this? Or was it, this is a big Jim Cameron project and we'll see what happens? Oh, no, no. The, you, you never go by... The, you never go by the seat of your pants intentionally. So no, there was, you know, there was clearly, in fact, the, the part of the problems for the picture started with, and I worked for Peter Turner who was at the beginning chairman. And after the picture started, it had moved into News Corps and I took over the chairmanship. I was president before that. So, um, you know, the, the part of the problem was that Peter in particular didn't really, and most people didn't want Jim to make something other than what Jim had traditionally made, which is sci-fi. You know, he's and probably one of the best. Well, it's really, you know, even all of them are sort of sci-fi-ish. Mm -hmm. um, and the best of them to me is, is still, you know, Terminator 2. But, um, you know, True Lies has, has got some of that in it, you know, elements of sci-fi, you know, even though it's that is probably your clear action picture. But that's what people wanted, and and you know, Titanic's not that. Titanic has little elements of that, but basically, it's a love story which threw everybody for a loop. Um, and for me, it was you know, the, it, you know, Jim doesn't write scripts; he writes what we called scriptments, which are long form with some dialogue. But basically, you had a really good picture of what the pic of what this movie would be. Um, and you knew he could do the the um, action beats of Titanic. In fact, I would say, in retrospect, better than um, you can imagine or I imagined. Uh, but his performances, if you go through all the movies from Terminator, Terminator 2, Abyss, doesn't matter which one you pick, the, there's not a bad performance in any one of those pictures. So I didn't think there was that much issue of delivery on the love story. So... I was one of the ones fighting for it, but Peter didn't want it, and it was original budget 
came in at 130 or something like that million dollars, which in today's world is, you know, is chump change. Right, but right. Is, was at that stage, there are very few pictures that were made at that kind of budget, if if few, if any. And and the argument internally in Fox was not to do it at that and to force the budget down mainly, again, this is, I'm putting in, in Peter's mind, you know, part of it was to force Jim not to make that and instead, you know, do um, one of the other projects that we had with Jim. So in the end, the the compromise was to go back to Jim with a 115, I think it was, something like the 110 million dollar budget and a release in a uh, release date, you know, which would lock in um, a way of doing it. And I think that set the movie on its tail. But if if it had been made for $110 million, it would have been a different movie, would have been more CG, less practical, wouldn't have built the ship, wouldn't have built the studio in, in um, Rosarita Beach to control the costs, you know, ha-ha-ha. <laughs> um, and um, I don't think it would have been the same movie. So, you know, I think it was a misguided attempt and and I thought really kind of a stupid thing on Peter's part because Jim's way more determined than he is. Right. And, and he was always going to make the movie. So that puts you in under the eight ball. I want to ask you, starting out, Jim goes off and he does this dive. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he says this, at one point at least, he said this is going to be $2 million. I think that ballooned to double or a little bit more than oh. than that even. This must have sounded like insanity. It was kind of a cheap, and, and again, just that depth, that sort of thing. That's just a cheap proving point. You know, even though, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at it like $2 million is expensive. You know, in the scale of a $100 million movie, it's it's a pimple. Did you at any point hear these stories about how Jim was almost crashing his sub, almost dying at the bottom of the ocean? Was no. any of that leaking out or was that all very, very quiet? You were just no. hearing he's off doing his thing. Right. I, just that. Other than he was, you know, heard stories he was claustrophobic. So there were, those, you know, like guys defying his own fears. Um, I, I guess ironically in some ways or coincidentally – when I, back when before Fox, I worked for Disney and funded um, or put on TV for the first time the Bob Ballard's Search for Titanic. So right. I don't think nobody's ever put that together, but um, somebody you know looking for the real ship, you know, we knew where it was. Um, you know, to me, that's did you need it for the movie? No, you didn't need it for the movie. Is it is having a complete feel for everything? Does that make for a better movie, yes. We fast forward, and there's this weird, this bizarre incident with PCP, it turns out. And uh, Jim's off shooting a lot of his kind of modern-day, present-day scenes in, in Halifax. Yeah, in Nova Scotia. And and, uh, and someone puts PCP in the soup. Okay, I don't know that – was that ever – I don't. I never heard well, the conclusion of Well, that's what the reports. Of, what we did. We still I don't, don't th- know. I don't who think was that's involved, necessarily. There were two stories that were heard. First was there was PCP. Second was it was poison. Um, the food was just food poisoning. It wasn't so. You know that there were, as there was all the way through the production. Jim is really a r- rough person to work for. Not people friendly in any right. sense of the word. Um, takes no hostages, even when. People are, are are friendlies. Um, 
I always say you're in, when you're in the bunker with him, he's shooting at you. So it's it's not it's never easy. And the crew didn't like him. Um, you know, for the most part, I wouldn't say it's universal, but you know, there's a lot of antagonism. He's really rough. The days are long. Truthfully, the the you know, I don't know if it was that or it's just you know a happenstance, but he clearly had a thought that it was real and. And there were enough rumor, rumors to, to give you whatever conspiracy you wanted. Those rumors all seemed to move in pretty quick. I was mm-hmm. going back through all these records and seeing Hollywood Reporter, Variety, a lot of the trades, some other L.A. Times had something about it, right. um, about this crazy incident. That a lot of them said, we reached out to 20th Century Fox. They said no comment. Are you getting phone we didn't calls know. throughout yeah. the day? Well, n- nobody knew what happened. I didn't get everything because some of that would have gone to Peter, not to me. Sure. So I don't know if he did, but my guess is we didn't. We didn't know. And in in the case of Titanic, as opposed to most movies, was at that stage, and it wasn't until you know Jim and I had a big enough fight and we were out of control enough that um, Fox really took control of the picture. So the you know the Nova Scotia portion of the of the um, shoot was almost 100% controlled by by Jim. How much of your job is trying to manage uh, the public image of a project like Titanic, which is maybe the, the ultimate case of this because everyone is talking about it for a year and a half before it comes out? Well, I, I think there's a, you know, when you're in the middle of that and it's your responsibility, you're getting, you're getting a lot of shit from a lot of people. So there's, and it's coming from... A lot of angles. You you can't control it. I mean, truthfully, people are you know are always ready to. There's there's let's put this. There's no news in something that's working. There's only news in something that's not working, and there's big news when there's something not working big. Um, we were sort of okay from the Nova Scotia shoot till you know somewhere in the somewhere in production. I don't remember when I was down there. It's down in Rosarita Beach, and and you know Ray Sankini, who was head of Lightstream, was uh, saying that they had Time and Newsweek coming down. And I'm like, what, how in heaven's name would you let reporters on the set of this movie? You know, because I I don't know if that at that stage I even knew what the co- film cost, but it was we were massively over budget and massively. Um, behind schedule, and it, maybe it had abated somewhat, and they felt like, okay, now it's working all right. I don't remember the exact timing, but you know that's when Time or Newsweek, I don't know which one, did wrote their one of their feature pieces, and it started with Glub 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 Glub. <laughs> right. I think if you're finding <laughs> that's everything. right, I found that. Um, and you know, and, and then it was just, uh, you know, then it was just a forest fire. You're just torching. You know, there's two ways to die. One is respectably and one is, uh, you know, I don't know if it's cowardly, but it's uh, ass backwards going. You know, if, <laughs> you know, if you're, you're failing with ambition is not the worst thing in life. So, you know, I if that was if that was my fate, that was fine. Um, how did I deal with it? You know, it, it's you know, I, 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 I tell a story now that. The only time in my adult life that I didn't go for a physical was the year and a half of two years of Titanic because I thought I go into the doctor, they hook me up to things and say, <laughs> your blood pressure is crazy. You have to do something about this. And They're I say, tell me I'm okay, dying. <laughs> I, can, I can do two things. I can quit 
or, you know, I can survive it. So I just felt like not go. So I didn't do a physical, um, you know, the, the tension level was pretty intense. It may be a battle to get things better and help, but, you know, I, I thought Jim was out to make a great movie as difficult as he was. I thought we were in sync. I think he would probably even say that, even though we, again, we did, you know, fight quite a bit about it. The, um, um, the point that it got worse was after we wrapped and it was post, um, even worse than that is after you're kind of have the movie in, in tow and you're waiting for the release because that's where you're waiting for your death certificate or life certificate, whichever way it goes. Coming up right after this, we'll take a quick break, but I want to ask you about uh, staring Jim in the face in his trailer and telling him he can't do something, <laughs> which is a position not many people have been in. And I want to hear your thoughts on that. So we'll uh, ask you that right after this. All right, we're back here with Bill Mechanic, the head of motion pictures at 20th Century Fox when Titanic was uh, starting to look like, what, a disaster? Is that fair? The outside world, yes. Yeah, I think the outside world doubted the idea of the movie. Why would you make a movie about a story we already know? And and then that we were in trouble. And so I think people thought we were Waterworld, not we were Titanic. So you, we're, we're well into this process now. I forget how many million dollars have, have been spent on this. You walk, you head down to, to Mexico, Jim's trailer, go into Jim's trailer knowing that you're going to have some confrontation here about a budget. Do you have to psych yourself up for something like that? I don't know if it's psych yourself up for it, but prepare for it. The, you know, the, at the, at the stage that I was driving down there, um, I drove down knowing that I, nobody could tell me how much we'd spent to date and nobody could tell me a completion date, running well over budget at a cost per day that nobody knew, at a projected cost that nobody knew. Um, I drove down to do, you know, one of several things, not any of which, not any of which was really, a, uh, I don't know, not a good thing, but not an easy thing to do or maybe not even achievable. One is, you know, he, he fire him, which, you know, if I fired him, I didn't think anybody could f finish the movie. So that was an option that's not really an option. Mm -hmm. um, two is, um, and two is really find a way to get control of the movie. The studio took control of the picture and it meant that um, script changes, that, you know, if you're going to not shoot it for, if you're going to shoot everything that's on the page, it's going to cost you money and stuff's going to end up in edit. And at the stage that you have problems, you should take away anything that you're not going to shoot. And then it should third. And the other thing was take away equipment and things that you don't need. So basically if we're in trouble, then let's get what we got to get and ignore everything else. Um, but that night, you know, it was like, that's your job. So I drove down and with um, it, I'm going to, come hell or high water, I'm going to shut down production or we're going to, you know, and get this under control in some way or, um, you know, that's really the, the probably the, the most likely option and that, that is actually what happened for only for a very short time. But I had two or three pages of notes of, of here are scenes that could be cut, including, you know, Titanic docks twice, you know, in the movie it docks once, second time was a $7 million probably scene of, of Southampton that we didn't shoot. So I actually got things like that out. But mm -hmm. 
And, you know, Jim has never had it, never agreed to any kind of change from anybody before. So this was, it got pretty ugly pretty quick, you know. Can you paint that scene a little bit sitting across from him? The the story well, goes he was eating some spaghetti. I don't know. If that's, I don't remember. I don't know if you eating, remember that he, he was eating his. Uh, I was say in the, in the in his he it was like he was on a, and he wasn't. So I don't mean this like right, he was right. on a drug. It was like he was on a drug. His eyes were uh, you know eyeballs were about as big dilated as they could be, getting more and more worked up. Whatever he was eating, um, and it was just two of us, and you know, in a small it wasn't a giant trailer sitting across the table. And so you see him going from what? Ir- irritation probably at first to, to just disgust. You know, disgust. like being, here's the head of the studio, so here's like, you know, I'll be sort of courteous to, I'm going to kill the guy. I, I would say if if he had, if there was a gun in the trailer, he would have shot me. Um, <laughs> I thought it would come to, um, it could have been physical, you know, but as he went through the thing, he got really crazy. I mean, he got, really crazy um really really um upset so it was screaming and i'm not going to do this and i'm like you, you don't really have i mean i was i think fairly calm about it you don't really have a choice that you know these are things that are going to happen that we're going to take over i'm bringing somebody in to take control of all the spending and you're going to make you don't have to make the cuts that are spelled out here but you're going to have to make cuts because if you shoot everything We'll never finish the picture, and and this is about finishing the movie, and and these are things you know. Why? How? What do you know? We started going to some specifics, and it became he got he got wilder to where he was just it was he you know stood up, he screamed, was screaming, and basically the I think the final thing was if you're again I don't know if it's your podcast for swearing, but verbatim is if you're so fucking smart then you direct the picture and he stormed out of the trailer probably sometime after three o'clock when he storms off what where are you what's your headspace where what are you thinking to yourself well i hadn't told uh, i hadn't told my boss that that stage peter turner that what i was doing i hadn't told him i was going down there i hadn't told him i was going to take him off and basically i had a director i didn't have to fire who quit you know who walked off the set and i left um, so this is 3.30 in the morning, driving back to Los Angeles, um, you know, pretty defeated, you know, like he came back that night. Mm-hmm. He came back three hours after I was gone. So I was left to, uh, I was left to, uh, I guess, sit in all, sit in and all, you know, drive back. I could barely make it back to LA. I was so tired and, and. And was not going to show it. You know, the biggest thing to me of the running a studio in, in with a problem movie is that people gave into the problems and weren't moving forward. And I was bound and determined not to have the problems of picture collapse the regime at, at Fox. And, and in fact, we pushed movies ahead like Thin Red Line and X-Men and, mm-hmm. and something about Mary. And, you know, they were all, I think, first rate pictures. Um, so, you know, and, and had to wait out, like, you know, sitting there, took a shower, I didn't go home, took a shower downstairs in the, in the administration building, you know, went to work and sat through the day waiting for the phone call to see 
was he going to come back? Was he going to agree to things? Was he not? And probably about four o'clock in the afternoon, he called. The problems we had with the movie, and this is why it was good between Jim and I, even though it was not, you know, not good, good, but it was, it was good because it, it was all the ambition of the movie. He was trying to make a great film. I didn't think there was a chance in hell that he would stay off the picture, that my, my gamble was that he cared way too much and he would agree to something. And I didn't have to have him agree to everything. I just needed some, like, get this at least under a semblance of control because I don't know how you make it any other way. And and he called me and, and you know, it wasn't like, a, gee, I'm sorry. It was, <laughs> we, we skipped all that. Okay, here's what I'll do and here's what I won't do. And he agreed to, um, I brought in Marty Katz, who I knew from Disney, to take control and we've set in 20 auditors and, you know, finance people to try and figure out what was it costing us and what, you know, and, and, and try and get us to a estimated completion cost and estimated completion date. Um, and sort of aligned Jim and I on the same page, even though it, it didn't stop all the fighting, but, you know, he was, you know, he he knew we were off. You know, we were at least going for the same goal, and he wanted to finish his picture. So, at one point, I was told, you know, to sell the picture. You know, split the cost of the picture. So I brought in, you know, and this this is the this was the feeling of the movie. Nobody wanted it. You know, Jim had a, a relationship with Universal. Uh, Casey Silver was running Universal. I called him, and he he wanted. I mean, essentially, was being rope doping, but basically wanted no part of this picture and. And um, I didn't really want to sell it. I thought, if you're going to take your risk, take your risk. But, you know, I was going to do what I was told to do. And then I had done Braveheart with Paramount. And I got a, and because of um, Colleen Camp, who had read for um, Molly Brown, she had read the script. She was married at that time to John Goldwyn, who was head of production at Paramount. And John asked me about the picture and then, you know, I told him, and then I got a call from Sherry Lansing and afterwards from John Dolgen at Paramount. And Sherry's like, you know, if we, we could do Braveheart together, why in heaven's name would you call us essentially on Titanic? So I sent it over um, and we agreed to split the cost, although then they were... They capped it. And they capped it. There were all sorts of problems. But then when you get to what the point where you're coming back to release... Then the biggest fight was when I agreed to that, I also controlled the release date because I felt like easier. it was easier to do domestic. But if domestic, if the U.S. didn't do the business I wanted, Jim was the star overseas and I could make it work. I could recover some of that money internationally. So I kept the international rights, gave Paramount the domestic rights, but controlled release date and, and release. And Paramount wanted a different campaign. They were trying to sell it like an action picture. So that was like one fight. Second fight was they wanted to release it at Thanksgiving. And I went, it, there's like 57 in that year. There were, I still remember, there were 57 movies between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So I said, you'll get, it'll kill us. So essentially, you know, we're, we're long. We're three hours and nine minutes. Um, so you you can't do all your business and. And one weekend you need to play. And if you're playing into the competition, you'll get eroded to the point that you don't survive versus being 
the last picture out, which was Christmas. So um, I got threatened with a lawsuit by Paramount, um, you know, to where they were. And I said, okay, I'll take the lawsuit because you're going to go into court saying you don't believe in the movie. And I'm saying this is the only way. So I believed we were not open to the biggest number. It couldn't because of the length. Um, and we were going to have to play. The idea was get this at the end of that window so the public kind of get stews it so over this a little bit. Because everything was released, the biggest play dates in the year are the last two weeks of the year. Yeah, and this was right at the end of that. Right, and the the Death Valley of, used to be of 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 film release was is is January. Nothing is released in January, so I felt we had at least you know five, six, seven weeks where we could dominate before the mm, the February yeah. pictures come out. Jim and I had a sit down, and I think it was while we were still shooting or we're in post that, with all due respect, we were probably going to lose money. It doesn't matter, you know. We were sort of aligned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, let, let's talk about next things, even though maybe in reality, if that had, if the, if the, the truth had been the truth that was imagined, um, there wouldn't have been a next thing for me, maybe not for him either. And he offered, so it wasn't even me. It wasn't my ask was he forfeited his back end on Titanic and um, would work under the same basics until we were until Fox was recouped on the next picture. So, um, and that he called it, let's pick a locomotive. If we weren't going to do Terminator, let's pick a locomotive so that we could dig out of the, the dig out of the pit we were in. When I f- had the final cost of the picture, I ran my new simulation of what would it, what would, what did it look like as what was the longest picture in history, the most successful long picture in history. At that stage, the most successful three-hour-plus movie was Dance, Dancers with Wolves, which ran three hours and 20 minutes or 15 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ran it doing 25% better, which I thought was ballsy, you know, but that was, <laughs> you know, that if we did 25% better than Dancers with Wolves, we would lose 100 over $100 million. Coming up after this, a uh, couple final questions. What makes Jim different from all other filmmakers that you've met? We'll be right back. All right, back here with Bill Mechanic. And Bill, our series that we've been doing focuses on the inner drive that kind of humanizes uh, the the name that a lot of people know, uh, James Cameron. And there's his relationship with his dad, his own kind of insecurity about his lack of talent, trying to make up through it, you know, through through sheer work. How much of that came through to you in your very intense sometimes interactions with him? Yeah, he's 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 a rough, you know, he's as rough a director as I've ever worked with. So there's no, but I always felt that was a lot of the stuff came out of insecurity that he, there's no director, um, you know, again, the, the auteur theory in Hollywood mm-hmm. in film has, has made directors more, responsible than they are. They're the chief of the movie. They're the people who are supposed to see things, but it's a collaborative art. So in most cases, the director is a chef with, you know, people contributing, you know, a great DP, great production designer, a great composer, hair and makeup, you know, all the different crafts that go into a movie. Nobody's really got all that in their, in their head. He's, He's 
pretty far along in terms of the three-dimensional chess aspect of making a film. He's, you know, he started as a production designer, so he's got right. he he sees sets. He, in terms of the skill set, his is about as complete, re- really, really multi-talented. That, uh, you know, you could say in general, Jim sees the movie probably as well as anybody, and he has to communicate it somehow. Yeah. Try to get it there. Pretty hard to argue the results. You know, there's a poster. It's, a, I guess, the best way to tell the story was we come out, da-da-da-da, we, we go through the Oscars and all that crap. Um, for Titanic. For Titanic, mm-hmm. sorry. And 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 then I don't, so that's like February, and I don't see Jim for, or talk to him for three three months or something, in which case it's now become the biggest movie in history. And, and then, you know, and at some point it's, okay, so... Buckle up! What are we gonna? You know, <laughs> what's gonna be what's next? What's gonna be next? And so I called Jim to let's get together and talk about the future. So we went over to go to to go out to lunch, and my wife had wanted a poster, you know, a signed poster, which Jim had never done. So when we were in there, there were posters there, and I said, "Well, you know," or I brought them. I don't remember which. And I said, "You know, you promised my wife a poster, and you never did it." So he gets down and he does something to Carol, or, you know, Jim. Uh, and he goes, and you want one. And I want, what the fuck do I want? <laughs> I, mean, I made the movie. I don't know. I don't want a poster. Tom, I don't want to be reminded of this. <laughs> Tom, Tom Rothman's with me and he's like, you can see they're embarrassed because like, you know, you're supposed to be coddling right. Jim, which is probably never the right thing to do with Jim. But um, I want one, you know, dun, 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 and does one for Tom. And then he, Goes, I know you want one. And I went, no, Jim, I don't want a bloody poster. Please, just like, let's go to lunch. And he goes, I'm going to give you one anyways. <laughs> and it became the first poster of a movie made that I put up on a wall because it's, and it's right out there. He didn't oh. write, we're king, I'm, we're king of the world. We won. He didn't, none of those things that wrote, we survived. And I thought that's like the coolest thing the guy had ever done. So it is to cool. me, that's the, to me, you know, there's again, there's a lot of things that are not great in the process. That he's, you know, he's ambitious. He's great creatively. He's ethical and in, in in almost every way that you want a director to be, and you know, an, an artist to be. You know, he he's he is a person of his word, and and I don't know. I've I had a ton of respect for him, even if we didn't always get along. Bill Mechanic, thank you so much for doing this. It's uh, been a real treat revisiting this uh, this breakthrough. You survived. We survived. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> this has been a special bonus episode of Blockbuster. I'm Matt Schrader. And if you liked what you're hearing, be sure to rate and give us a five-star review. Or get in touch with us at getblockbuster.com, at BlockbusterPod on social media, or follow me at Matt Schrader on Twitter. Thanks for listening.